are dismissed back to Praise Factory. If you would turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 8, we're going to read there this morning. Um, today is the inaugural reading from the... Uh, there's something... Have you, ever, have you ever... Do you smell new books? This is, um, this is my new giant print ESV. Um, you laugh. This is just the book of Romans. <laughs> Good. I worked. I, I thought about that all week. Now, um, I I realize that sometimes I read the wrong words, and that's because the text is tiny. I'm getting old, and so I figured it's time to take the plunge. Um, and uh, and so I'm going to read from Romans chapter eight. We're going to begin reading in verse 16, and we'll read to verse 28. Although. Uh, we, will, we will really dig in and expand upon verse 28 next week because uh, many times uh, encouragements or uh, counsel that others give from Romans 8:28 can just strike at the heart of, of us if, if, if we're not careful in the way that we receive it. And so I want to I spend some time and really dig into that incredibly precious promise. But we're going to read from Romans 8, starting in verse 16, and then we'll pray. The scriptures say this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be, we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak to us in your word. In your word, we find many precious promises. And those precious promises then are used by your Holy Spirit to build us in faith and hope and love 
and obedience and perseverance and all of the things that you are shaping us into, all the virtues that you are building into us. Father, we pray that as we approach you as imperfect people, that you would give us encouragement and assurance from this passage of Scripture. We pray that in all things we would remember that Jesus is the foundation and it is not our work or our effort, but instead it is what he has done for us that is the foundation. And now we are to cooperate with you as we walk and follow as your disciples and your children. Father, we pray above all things this morning that you would help us to see this truth of the scriptures and to believe in it that there is no comparison between the difficulties that we face in this world and the rewards, the blessing, the benefit that comes from knowing you. We pray your grace on our time in your word this morning, Lord, and we thank you that we know that we have it because the Spirit is present and speaking to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there, there were experiences that uh, I had as a child that were amazing, right? You know, just, just kind of a, of a life-changing thing. Uh, as, you, as you grow and get older, you may have an experience that replaces that and, and shows you that there was no, no real comparison between the two ever, right? You know, when, when you're very young, you spend a lot of time walking everywhere, learning to walk, right? And then maybe you graduate into uh, riding a bike. And those first moments of bike riding are like, that is amazing, right? You know, you're free, and now you can go everywhere, and you can ride here and there, and, and you know, you're, you're, you're moving fast. Uh, and then you learn how to drive a car, right? And all of a sudden, all the effort is gone. And it's like, this is so much more efficient. I can get places so much faster. I mean, imagine having to drive that little huffy dirt bike and bring my entire family to church this morning with that thing. No way would I go back. There's no comparison between the one and the other. I can remember unwrapping the Sony Walkman for the very first time, right? You know? putting the uh, AA batteries in there, connecting the, the headphones. There's a little silver band, right? You know, and the, the little uh, protective ear muff things that like just kind of touched your ears and you, you plug, that, uh, plug that device in, you, you know, and you put the cassette tape in. For the very first time, you know, you gotta you gotta figure out exactly, you know, is it going this way or that way? But you know, that becomes that practice motion, tape over, eject, flip, you know, um, and suddenly, all of a sudden, you're like walking everywhere, or you're in the car and you're listening to music, and 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 you have control, and you don't have to listen to whatever whoever's driving is listening to, you know, and and so suddenly you have all this freedom. This is amazing. But think about it. Think about how much information you can carry around on your phone now if you keep your music on your phone and it Bluetooth connects to your car radio. I mean, imagine the absolute pile of cassette tapes you would need to haul around 
to carry the music collection that you might be able to keep on your phone. There's no comparison between having a Sony Walkman and having a phone. When we come to know Jesus and we begin to dig into the precious promises given to us in scripture and we see what God has for us and how he encourages and blesses and leads us along and then we compare it to what it's like to try to satisfy God through our own efforts we ought to see that there's no comparison between the two that one is vastly superior to the other when we see the amazing amount of work that we would need to do and the unattainable perfection that we would need to possess in order to satisfy God, we should look to Jesus who offers us righteousness through faith and see that there is no comparison. We could earn righteousness through perfection if that were possible and we would be able to declare that we are worthy to be called the children of God but we could ruin it in an instant and as some theologians have said if there was any way that we could lose our salvation or ruin the foundation of the work that Jesus has done for us we would do it but the good news is that we cannot ruin the work of Christ, that it is perfect and changeless. We learn that we have been set free from the law of the flesh and the law of sin and death and earning and working for salvation. And we now are to engage and to live in the life of the Spirit where we follow our Lord and Savior. And there is no comparison between the two. And so what I'd like to take a look at this morning is the way that the Spirit bears witness to us, then focus on, a, uh, on, on Paul's perspective of what suffering is, and there is a connection between the two, and then finish focusing on the idea that the Spirit will help us in the interim between now and when Jesus returns, and that his work ought to be incredibly encouraging to us. And that we ought to find it far superior to living in our own strength. The scriptures point out, in starting in verse 16, that the Spirit bears witness to us. That he gives us certain assurances when we put our faith and trust in Christ. Look at what verses 16 and 17 say. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then it introduces this idea of, of provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Why do we need the Spirit to bear witness? Why do we need the Spirit to offer testimony? Uh, if you have ever been in a car accident, if anybody has ever um, 
uh, driven into your car, you know, maybe rear-ended you or something. If you've ever been involved in any kind of accident, you know how valuable it is to have somebody who saw that scene and who's able to say, I saw exactly how it happened. Because the natural inclination is to think that the person who's at fault will try to defend themselves and the person who's not at fault will try to defend themselves. And so you need a witness to come along and to say, this is what actually happened. Now, in the Christian life, we struggle and battle with continual indwelling sin, right? We have, we have the flesh, which uh, works against us. We live in the world where people have all kinds of opinions about who God is and the way that he works and if there is or is not sin. And then there is the devil who lies and who accuses. And so there are times when we can say, did something really happen when I put my faith and trust in Jesus? Am I just totally mistaken about all of this? There are times where we can say, maybe I'm getting this all wrong or I'm focusing in the wrong place, but the Spirit is there to bear witness to us and to say, no, you have put your faith and trust in Christ. And this is what the Bible says. This are, these are the promises that have been made by God to you. When we struggle and we think, I have sinned again, surely God is done with me. The Spirit brings to mind the precious promises that we have hidden in our spirit, the things that we have heard and the things that we've been taught, so that we can say, no, God's reputation lays on the line here with regard to forgiveness. What does... 1 John 1, 9 say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you thought about that strange phrase in the middle there, right? If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful and just. If God has promised I will forgive your lawless deeds and remember them no more. And then you confess your sins and forgiveness does not come. He has lied and is no longer righteous. His entire reputation lies on the line. And so God makes promises that we can say his faithfulness and justice mean that he will follow through on this. He will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And the Spirit reminds us of these things. And so we have these testimonies in our spirit. Paul points out that the Spirit reminds us that we are the children of God. And not just God's slightly unwanted child, the unpreferred child, right? You know, not the, not the one that's like, here's the amazing child, and here's the excellent child, and then here's the kid who's just kind of average. No. If... Children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs with God means that, that we are the recipients of the blessings and favor of God. All the things which he gives to those whom he calls to himself. He blesses his children. But then it says here, fellow heirs with Christ. Think about the fact that Jesus is both human and divine, 100% man and 100% God, two natures not intermixed. And Jesus, through his righteous life, earns 
rewards beyond compare with any human being. He does this as a man. And he becomes the heir of all the blessings of heaven. And it says here we are fellow heirs with Christ. Now, from the divine side, Jesus is the Son of God, not by God's grace, which is how we all become the children of God, but because of his nature. And so it is the exact, appropriate, righteous, perfect thing for God to say, I give you all the blessings of heaven. You are my son. You are just like me. You are my mirror image. I will bless you. Because that is the right thing to do. And we are heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ. We receive all those blessings. But I believe that the Spirit also presses home another piece of testimony, and that is that there must be a cost. And we struggle with this, right? And, and we think that somehow we, we fix it by saying uh, uh, that, that, that works is completely done away with, and therefore it's all by faith. But in our spirit, we think there must be something that is required. There must be something that I must do. Now, notice what it says here. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit witnesses, bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, provided we suffer. The Spirit presses home to us that there must be a cost, okay? Now, not a cost to earn, not an entrance cost. The cost is paid by Christ. The entrance fee, the foundation, is achieved by his blood. And the work of declaring us righteous is completely done by Jesus. And so we are not talking about a cost to earn, but a cost to become. Not a, an admission price, but an expended effort to embrace what God is doing in us. Now, think about taking up uh, a, a, a sport or a behavior that will benefit your health, right? Uh, some people say the easiest thing that you can do is to walk, right, for your health. It's expensive to walk, right? This is not, uh, not a cheap hobby to pursue. You have to have the right shorts. You've got to have the right shirt. You've got to go out and buy a Fitbit, right? You got to, because if you didn't post it on the internet, what you did, then it didn't happen. You got to have a, a headband with a logo on it, right? You know, you need to have those wristbands, right? You need to have those socks with the stripes on them. And you need to get yourself some, some uh, fancy shoes and a, and a water bottle and a little blinker light, right? You got to do, or do you? You actually don't need any of those things. You just need to walk. And there's effort that's involved there. The devil twists this idea and makes us think that, that we should be free from suffering on the one hand and then makes us think, on the other hand, that there is no effort involved in obtaining the kingdom of God. Though it is given to us and the price is paid by Christ, we are still called to embrace it and to engage it and to walk in it. He wants us to believe that we ought to be free from suffering, and if we're not free from suffering, then God is not good. But then he also presses home the idea that, that good behavior is the admission price 
to heaven. And so the Spirit is there to assure us of certain things. I believe nothing compares with these assurances. No way of thinking about the world, no way of conceiving who God is or what God does can move these out of the way once we see them and believe them and accept them. And there are these three. One is that you are a child of God if you've put your faith and trust in Christ. And if you are a child of God, then you are not a second-class citizen. You are an heir of God. And you are a co-heir, a fellow heir with Christ. And then third, that our attitude and embrace of suffering, our, our embracing of the work of God in changing and shaping our character and our heart, is a piece of living the Christian life. That we must embrace it. We cannot reject it. Now, Paul is going to make a comparison here on suffering and give us his perspective on suffering. Not that we earn access into heaven by suffering, but that we cannot throw suffering aside. We cannot say, I need not suffer. We can't say, I don't have to embrace this or cooperate with God and everything's going to be fine. We have to embrace this. It is part of living the Christian life. Paul says here, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of comparison, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He says that, what is going to happen will make what is happening in this life seem very small and very insignificant. The pain that we experience right now, the difficulty that we go through, the frustration that we encounter on a daily basis is no comparison with what God is going to do, who he will transform us into, who we will eventually be. Now, it is easy to speak these words, but I don't want you to believe that I don't think this is a difficult thing to say. There is no comparison between any of our present suffering and who we will be eventually in Christ, who God will create us to be on that last day when he reveals himself to us, when we are transformed into his image and sin is finally dealt away, uh, uh, dispensed with, and we are transformed into our new bodies. There's no comparison. Some of you know chronic illness and pain and struggle in a way that I am not familiar with. And so I don't want you to think that I think that your pain and suffering is insignificant. Paul says there's no comparison between what we will be and what we are now. Um, in, uh, in, in 2015, I, uh, I landed in the hospital on New Year's Eve. Uh, I was starting to feel some, some pain, and Nancy said, you're going to be mad if you don't go, because tomorrow, you know, the deductible resets, and, you know, like... 
whole new year, like, so just get in there a few hours earlier. And uh, so I ruined our New Year's Eve plans by getting admitted into the hospital. It, the pain started in the dead of night, just this, this incredible intestinal pain, just massive pain that I had never felt before. And so we went to the hospital and the, the pain was, was getting greater and greater and the, uh, the doctor uh, the nurse said to me, you know, just sit tight and we'll get you some pain medicine. And I said to the nurse, I need to find something to distract me because like I, I, this, I have never felt anything like this before and I am going to go crazy. And she was like, well, just sit tight, you know. Um, how bad is the pain? And I was like, you see that scale on the wall there? Yeah, the one through 10, like it's like a 12 or an 11. Um, this, is, this is bad. And so I said to her, I think I'm going to try to bend this bed, right? You know, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, I was just, it was like, Urgh! and so I, I, hospital beds are very well made. Because um, it, was, it, was, it was, I mean, I have never experienced anything like this before. I was just, I was in so much pain. I, I probably know what childbirth is like. Um, on, on the Keith Meyer pain scale, that, I don't know, I believe me, there's no, there's no conception in my mind that I understand childbirth. I understand that's the correct thing to say right now. Okay. Um, yeah, I always tell anybody who's like, give me some advice about preaching, like somewhere within the like 25 minute speech is like, don't ever say that you know what childbirth is like. Um, anyway. Uh, it's fun occasionally to say. Uh, take that pain, whatever it is. Now, I don't know how much pain you've been in your life or the difficulties and the struggles. I know, I know some of it, but, but somewhere on that scale, there is a 10. The most difficult thing that you've ever been through, the most significant struggle and, 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 and pain. And think that that 10... Is a, is a zero on the what is going to be scale. It, it doesn't even register. It's, as Paul says, not worth comparing. But there is a reason why suffering occurs and why it is an essential piece of God's shaping, designing plan for your life. And there's a reason why he uses it. Not that we cancel it out and say that it's good because God is allowing it. Because in the scriptures, uh, Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, I believe it is, maybe it's 49, he's speaking to his brothers. He says that when they threw him in a pit and they sold him as a slave, that they intended it for evil. It was evil, but God used it for good. He shaped it. He took the bad and he redirected it so that it accomplished good, even though in and of itself the circumstances were bad. So we're not saying pain is good because pain is, pain is bad. But Paul says don't lose heart in the middle of pain and difficulty. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light momentary affliction, think about that. My 10 on the pain scale, right? Your 25 childbirth pain, how's that? On the, on the, on the pain scale is, in Paul's word, 
light momentary affliction. But what it's preparing us for, he says, is an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Pain is supposed to accomplish a work in our life. And the Spirit is there to remind us that we remain heirs with Christ, that we remain children of God, and that, yes, this is part of the process, and that he will walk us through it. Paul goes on to say here that everything is building up to the next big thing. Everything is is building up to the next great event. He says in verse 19 that the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. He personifies the entire created order here, like all the plants and animals and rocks and clouds and everything. And he says that everything that God created is waiting eagerly for God to accomplish his work in his children. The creation was subjected, verse 20, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He goes on to say, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So creation knows, ladies, um, even if men do not. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation itself is waiting for the next big event. And I believe that that is all connected in one piece. The completion of the Great Commission, which is the event that signals the return of Christ the resurrection of the dead, and the transformation of the children of God into eternal heirs. Though we legally have a right to the kingdom of God because God has granted it to us, we are not yet of age. We have not yet come into our inheritance because it is not yet time. The world was created to be cared for and cultivated into something beautiful and wonderful. Sin corrupts, twists, and destroys that. We see in Genesis chapter 3, thorns and thistles, right? Division between husband and wife. Genesis 4, competition between brother and brother. As we move on, we see wars between nations and defiance of God. The creation is not what it is supposed to be. Why? Because God was not willing for the world to be made perfect without his children. And so Romans says that he subjects it to futility. Look at what he's saying here. Creation did not want to be subjected to futility, to be frustrated. It wants to be perfect. And so right now it groans. It aches in the pains of childbirth. Why? Because it was created to be something else. And so were we. 
We were created to have fellowship with God and not to live in this kind of quasi-separated from God in one way and yet filled with His Spirit in another and forgiven in, in one, yet, one way and, and being completely righteous and yet not walking it out. We weren't created for that. We were created for fellowship with God. And so we groan. All humanity groans. You ever wonder where that desire to be more than you are is i'm not talking about like wanting to be a youtube internet star or whatever and like have you know something that's just completely and utterly outsized but but you want to be somebody right not just a number not you want to you want to have some kind of significance where does that come from it comes from god it comes from the fact that he created us like that he created us with the knowledge that we are unique and special we teach this to kids we say you're like your fingerprint you're unique and that makes you special right and then we turn around and 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 teach that nature doesn't care and the universe doesn't care right you know and all these things that the that the universe is cold and unkind and and caring and then we dress it up with some kind of spirituality some kind of new agey like but be positive why no, what Christianity does, what Jesus teaches us, what, what we find all through the scripture is that God knows the number of hairs on your head. Amen. And anyone who would count all that hair, and even if, even, if it's like, even if you're in your later years and it's like dwindling, there's still a whole lot. Just grab a little bit of it and start counting, right? You know, check it out. Anyone who would number all the hairs on your head thinks that you are significant. Human beings want to be more than just one in seven billion. This is part of the reason why they marry, because they want to be the one and only. They think that they have been created for more, and they have. Believers groan, too. We want to be more. What believer who truly understands what Jesus did, who understands that he took our sins upon himself. What believer wants to say, I'm okay with not being perfect. I'm okay with not being righteous. I'm okay with living with sin for another 70, 80 years, another 40 years, another 20 years. We want to be holy. We want sin to be removed. We want the adoption to be complete. We want to be made perfect. We long for more because we know we've been created for more. Let me tell you where that idea comes from. That's not just something that's been, like, that has randomly occurred in your mind. I believe that this comes from the Spirit, and that He says that you can be more. And so we groan as creation suffers and as we suffer. What needs to happen for life to be complete, for the, for the things which God has promised to happen? I believe that the gospel needs to be preached to all nations. Matthew chapter 24 says the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. When the gospel is, is fully reached and the number of the disciples are, are gathered in, Jesus will return. Discussing the evangelism of the Gentiles, Paul says that the Jews' rejection of the gospel meant life for the world. But then he says, what will their acceptance mean? We'll get to this in Romans. He says, life from the dead. 
we will be resurrected, we will be changed, we will be like him. In the meantime, we hope and we wait for what God will eventually do, and we embrace the way that he is shaping and changing us right now. We take courage from the ministry of the Spirit, urging us on in the face of some of our failures and struggles and in the midst of our suffering. And hopefully we embrace the truth that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with what will be revealed in us and we keep on going. Why, why do we suffer? Why do we continue to struggle with difficulty? I, I didn't make an exhaustive list because I think it would have taken several hours to, to work through it. I just I thought of four that I thought were significant. Why do we suffer? Uh, we suffer and we struggle because we're not yet complete. We need the full indwelling presence of God. We need this transformed new body in order to be complete. And if there were no suffering, if there were no struggle, then we would just settle down and build our home and never change anything. We would just give up, right? If, if there were no, no pain or no pressure, then why would we change? We'd make this world our home. That's the second reason. And it is not our home. The Bible says that this world will be done away with and God will create a new heavens and a new earth without any trace or stain of sin. And so we are not to settle down and dwell here permanently, comfortably. We're supposed to look forward to our new home. If there is no suffering in our present experience and there is no suffering in the experience of others, we lose our motivation for evangelism. If everyone everywhere is okay and there is no pain and there is no suffering and there is no risk, why share the gospel with anyone? One of the things that um, Pastor David Platt has said is that many of us functionally in our minds believe that there is no risk to other people and that everyone's basically okay and everyone's basically safe and that's why we don't share the gospel with them. But if we believe that people are, in, are suffering and in need and have a need for a savior, then we will share. And I don't know about you, but when there's no suffering, when everything's easy, when everything's comfortable, we lose our motivation to listen. I don't pay attention to my, the gas level in my car until that little light lights up, right? And even then, sometimes I'm like, I am going to play beat the needle, right? You know, like I'm just going to keep going and going, but you know what? I have gotten stuck on the side of the road, and now I'm like, that's so miserable and embarrassing. Here I am on the side of the road, and people are stopping, and they're like, can we help you? And I'm like, do you have a tank of gas on you? Because I have no gas. You know, hi. You know, people I know have stopped. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. AAA's on the way with gas because I'm too dumb to pull in when the light goes on. But now, when the light comes on, I'm like, man, don't know. Like 20 miles, right? 15 miles. One one trip to work, and I'll get gas right out there, right at that at that gas place. That's what I'll that's what I'll do, right? Because I have been there, and pain causes us to listen. It causes us to listen. We lay hold of God and we demonstrate 
our supreme need, or we, we, lay, we, we, we see our need of him in times of difficulty and pain. Pain can be our greatest teacher. And so in the meantime, until we are complete, the Spirit helps us in the interim. I believe that there is no comparison between the ministry of the Spirit in and working in our lives and what we would have on our own. Look at what the passage says here as we come to this last section. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Why does he say likewise the Spirit helps in our weakness? Because he's already told us two benefits that come to us because of the Spirit. Three benefits, rather. He tells us that we're children of God. He tells us that we're heirs. He tells us that suffering is a piece of the process. But then there is this added bonus here at the end, that there's no comparison between being alone in our own efforts and having the blessing of the Spirit. Look at what the Spirit does here. He helps in our weakness. It says here we don't know how to pray as we ought. Have you ever thought that? Your most perfect, pure prayer that you've ever uttered has been tainted by your own self-centeredness and limitedness. But you know what? The Spirit is covering for you. Spirit's covering for you, right? You know, have you ever had uh, your, your kid like 90% get the milk out of the fridge by himself and there's like that risky moment where it could all go over the floor and you're just like, you know, dad ninja just like intercepts and, and avoids catastrophe. He did most of it, right? The spirit intercedes for us. He knows how to pray for us and he speaks in a way that is too deep for words. He helps in our weakness. He fills up what we lack. The blessing here is this, that when we are inconsistent, the Spirit is consistent. When we fail, the Spirit does not fail. When we struggle, the Spirit does not struggle. Do you, do you see the amazing blessing of that? You, you, you can say, you know what, I've been a Christian for 25 years and there are times where I just feel like such a failure and like I'm making zero progress. You know what, the Spirit was there every second of that time. And whenever you could have broke it, right, whenever you could have messed it up so bad, have you ever opened something up at home and it says like, Taking these screws out of your VCR voids the warranty. Like, we, if you break it, we are not going to fix it, right? You can't break this. You can't ruin it because the Spirit is there. He is there. This is wonderful assurance for the believer. It says here that God knows the mind of the Spirit, that they are of one mind. And so the Spirit prays for us and he intercedes for us. 
And that means that we can come before God and we can ask like little children. We can say, help me. And the Spirit will say, this is what he needs. Help me, Lord. Change me. And the Spirit will say, work on her in this way. Change this. Change that. Give reassurance. Give encouragement. Give comfort. And then the Spirit draws home this idea that no matter what happens, whether good or bad, that God brings his children close and causes each and every circumstance in their life to work together for good. And that's where we'll pick up when we begin next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is no comparison. Apart from you, we have no righteousness With you, with Jesus, we are completely righteous. Apart from the Spirit, all of our prayers are tainted and ruined, but with the Spirit, he intercedes and makes everything perfect. Apart from the Spirit, we struggle with doubt and we hope for things which may never come to pass, but with the Spirit, we are assured that we are heirs and children of God. Apart from the Spirit, we may encounter suffering and think, this is evidence that God has abandoned me, that he does not love me, that he intends to destroy me. With the Spirit, we believe that this is part of the way that you are shaping us, that we must embrace our cross and follow in obedience. And so we pray, Father, that we would be open to and we would listen to the Spirit and not quench him, not drive him away, but instead that we would be diligently devoted to following the work of the Spirit in our lives. Lord, we thank you for giving us this deposit, the promise of your presence, your very life in us. We pray that you would help us to walk in a manner that displays our gratitude and our appreciation. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.